Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Die Trying, your favorite Michigan podcast. And guess what? We just played Ohio State, and we're still alive. That's right. The Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh, that epic quest, it's its no more. He has defeated the Buckeyes, but there is more. There's more to come because there is a Big Ten championship game this Saturday and a playoffs following that. That's right. I said it. There's a playoffs following this Saturday because I am feeling myself and this Wolverines team. I've been optimistic, head high all season long, and there's no reason to stop now. I think this Michigan team is built to win it all, particularly this season when you look at the landscape and the potential opponents. And we're going to talk about all of that uh, in this episode with our guest, Andrew Bailey from Maize and Blue. He was at the game. He was in the big house on Saturday. So he's going to give you the feel of what that was like to be in the big house in Ann Arbor as Michigan pulled off that upset over Ohio State. And we'll talk about that game, about this season, the coaching staff, um, looking ahead a little bit to this week's preview, a preview of the Iowa game in the Big Ten title game in Indianapolis, as well as a look at the college football playoff uh, and how Michigan fits in with those other teams. And without further ado... And joining us now on Die Trying is Andrew Bailey of Maize and Brew. You can follow him on Twitter at UMAndrewB. Andrew, how you doing today? I mean, it's a great week to be a Wolverine fan, isn't it? Man, it is great to be a Michigan Wolverine, Daniel, and thanks for having me, brother. So before we jump into the game and stuff, I, I you know, one thing that's interesting to me that I discovered about you is like myself, you are not from Michigan. Um, I believe you're not an alum. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Not an so alum and not from them. Yeah. Just like me, I'm from New York and, and like yourself, I loved college football and needed to pick a team and, and was a little kid who really didn't know what he was watching on TV yet. He just knew he loved football. And I think it was, like many people, something about those winged helmets that just brought you in and the whole pageantry of the big house. And I'm a little older than you. So my, you know, your guy is Chris Perry. I go back to like the Desmond Howard days that, that pulled me in. So it, it, it's, it's funny because you typically, when you dive this deep into one team, it's usually an alum or somebody from the area, but it's cool to talk to somebody who's just like, you know what? I, I just fell in love with this team for no reason other than I fell in love with this team. Yeah, man. Love knows no distance. And it's really nice to have that in common because it just speaks to the sprawl of the Michigan reach and the fandom. And that was echoed by the fact that 15.8 million people watch this game. So there are more people like you and I than there are alums walking around. Correct. Correct. So you were there at the game. Unfortunately, I was not, but I I'm glad you were able to be there and enjoy it. Um, give the listeners out there a feel, a vibe of what the atmosphere is like. Take us from game day to DJ ski to, you know, sipping uh, spiked chocolates to sitting next <laughs> to Ohio State fans, hugging strangers on the field. 
dancing to Mr. Brightside at the 50. You had a ball, didn't you? Man, it was the single best day of my life. And I, that's not hyperbolic. It's, it really was because 10 years of pain. I've never had 10 years of pain regarding one singular event that happens almost every year, COVID permitting. And so much was built into it. So I couldn't miss this one. And just being there, man, feeling the energy, the environment, it was something I'll never forget because it's in the snow. It was poetic. And the way Michigan won, just beating them down, running my mouth to the Ohio State fan next to me. Clearly, I like to talk, and I let him have all the <laughs> four, five, six-syllable swears I can muster up. And it was all a great time, man. And then just the end of it, like walking down the steps, knowing we're going to win, hugging fans, crying, talking to everybody of all ages. And then just being on the field, I've never been in an atmosphere where it's hundreds of thousands of people just complete elation there was no negative energy like everyone was just happy like it was unbelievable impossible to describe and the snow mr Brightside. shout out to michigan for bringing in dj ski to handle the music in between the game to keep the crowd fired up and on their feet man it's it goes to what joel clatt and matt leinert said that it was the best college football environment they've ever been in and it's just a culmination of everything the history, the pain, the release of just like all these endorphins, like you didn't even know you had, you could feel. And now I've been to a ton of Michigan games, but I doubt this one will ever be topped. I doubt that too. It was a phenomenal game. And uh, let, let's dive into the game then. Uh, and I'm sure you, you, you wrote about this in your diary. And I'm sure most of us felt this where it was like, all right, we're about to go up 14 zip, aren't we? And then Kay throws the interception. Um, talk about that feeling and what the stadium was like and, and the fact that, you know, whatever we felt, I don't think Kay felt it, right? He just, it was just a mistake. And then you just keep on playing. That's dead on, Daniel. That is so smart. It is. Yeah, Cade's always a next play guy. Like he ha might have a one mistake. He's only had three picks on the year, so he doesn't do it often. Makes one mistake, but you know he's going to bounce back. So you have that resilience and belief in Cade. In the stadium, though, once that defense made the three and out and they're punting back to us and Henning has that return off the bounce, man, mm. only word coming across was everybody's mind was blowout. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to hang 100 on them. We are coming for that. <laughs> and, man, it was crazy. But then, you know, Cade throws the pick. It's kind of like an exhale. It's like, okay, it's not negative yet, but there's going to be adversity. It's going to be a boxing match. It's not just going to be a haymaker knockout. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think it was big that they didn't give up a touchdown right away, although they did fall behind. And it, it's hard not to just give all the love to Hassan Haskins. I know Chris Perry is your guy when you're a kid and it's tough. <laughs> it's tough to it's tough to top the guy from when you were young. Right. But yeah. how does how does Hassan, Hassan Haskins performance uh, stack in, in for you? Oh, H2 is surpassing it, man, because I've watched him grow before my eyes, go from coming in as a running back, going to linebacker, coming yep. back as a fifth string running back in 18, busting his ass and coming back up the depth chart. And then just he's the most likable person. He's like Aiden Hutchinson on the offense. Like you, if you don't like Hassan Haskins, I don't like you because you just can't give me any reason. All he does is credit his offensive line, run over dudes, truck people and play his heart out every game. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, he was. People thought he was going to play linebacker, linebacker in Michigan for a while. Um, I'm trying to remember the details now. Where, ha like, there was a bunch of guys hurt, right, for him to have to switch back 
to yeah. running back in season, you know, because they, they basically were forced to go to him and he had that big game against Notre Dame. And it was like, Whoa, maybe this guy, maybe this guy should be the running back. Dude. It's crazy. He was once behind a human named Ben Van Summeren on the running back depth <laughs> chart, who is now a walk on linebacker at Notre Dame. That's where Hassan Haskins began. And I think that humility just trickles through into his effort and, yeah, man. I mean, even even last year in the COVID year, the one bright spot against Minnesota, he had a huge tackle on a fake punt attempt by the Gophers. Like his resume yeah. is so sprawling. It's amazing. And for him to have his best career game against Ohio State, it couldn't happen to a better person. Yeah, five touchdowns, you know, Michigan record most ever allowed by Ohio State. Um, I've lost track of how many hurdles uh, he's, <laughs> he's had throughout the season it seems like he's get he gets one a game um but yeah he's he's been a beast uh what a tandem with Corum um and those guys have to be that good to keep a guy like Donovan Edwards on the sidelines because I can't wait to see what he does down the road um where should we go here Andrew let's see you know got to go back to the defense too right and and you brought up Hutchinson is, is he the best Michigan defender you've seen? Is he the best Michigan player you've seen? It's hard for me because I remember Charles Woodson. I was wearing yeah. my, my Charles Woodson jersey, nice. you know, watching this game. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to top him. Heisman Trophy winner at corner, won a you know, national title, undefeated season. But for you, wh- where is he in Michigan lore? He's in the conversation with Charles Woodson. That's, that's where he's at. Of, of my time, he is the best. And historically, it's Woodson 1A, Hutch 1B, and that could, could become even closer if he gets invited to New York, which he should, possibly win the Heisman, which, of course, I'm going to say he should, and does what he does these next three games. No Michigan team has ever won more than 12 games in a season. So to, for them to have an opportunity to get 14 this year is unbelievable. And in this game, man, he just he did what he's done all season, but to an even higher extent. PFF has been tracking quarterback pressure since 2014, and he yep. set the record with 15 in this game by a single human, 15 pressures from him and added on three sacks, more tackles. I mean, he was – he, he's the embodiment of this team. He's been the heartbeat all season for him to come back and put on a performance like this to break uh, his father's household record of 11 sacks in a season and then to break <laughs> the Michigan record of 12 sacks in a season – Man, it was it was something to behold. And that was against, you know, five star offensive linemen who we wanted and, mm-hmm. we know, had a let's have a, a practice in his high school in his honor. And he decided to go to Columbus anyway, projected first round pick. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you if you're an offensive lineman and you want to help your draft stock avoid having to block Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson. That's facts, man. I mean, he just just embarrassed them. And just like he did against Jackson Kirk of Washington, another highly projected offensive tackle. You're going to get bullied when you play Aiden Hutchinson because he's got so many pass rushing moves in his bag. He can spin you finesse power, speed, everything. And Oh, the clip of him putting him on his butt in this game is just, it's something I watch every night before I go to bed at this point. It's so nice. <laughs> You're not the only one, believe me. Yes, facts. What, so, you know, I don't think what Hutchinson did was a su- surprise, really. Um, we expected Haskins to have a good game. What, what surprised you the most out of, out of th- this victory? That's a good question. I think it was just the consistency of running with ha- without having to be diverse on the offensive side of the ball in the second half. So 
I believe the last pass attempted by Michigan was right around 642 of the third quarter. And the fact that we could just let them know what we're going to do and still do it for a quarter and a half. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care if it's Louisiana Monroe. I don't care if it's the Citadel. Like if you can just do line up, they know what's coming. They can put eight, nine in the box and they can't stop it. That is the ultimate of imposing your will against an opponent and just embarrassing them. Like you're just going to straight down their throat, every play downhill, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I, in a perfect scenario, I did not think that would happen. I thought we'd still have to keep them honest, but the offensive line played the best, the, the best game I've ever seen a Michigan offensive line play, considering the caliber they were going against in Ohio State's front seven, who had been just completely stout against the run after their Oregon loss. Yeah, I believe uh, in your piece you had it as 9.5 yards per carry in the second half. That's, that's absurd. That's <laughs> absurd. That is absurd. And yeah, there was a 55 yarder, but there wasn't like, it wasn't a 90 yarder to no. skew the stats. It, you know, it wasn't just two runs. It was, you know, they were getting, they, they, they weren't even getting to third down running the that's, football. That's the stat, man. They, Michigan did not, was zero for zero on third downs in the second half due to penalties on Ohio State. And they faced one second and 10. And the second longest second down Michigan faced in the second half was second and four. Uh, just simply amazing. <laughs> just an absolute dominating game in the trenches. And I, I think, you know, kudos to the defense too, because, um, and this is something that Klatt said in terms of the secondary, yeah, Ohio State got their yards through the air, but the Michigan DBs made them work. I mean, that touchdown, that first touchdown that Wilson scored, um, against, uh, I, I believe Gray. it was DJ Turner. Oh, Vincent Gray. Gray, yeah, yeah. Gray. Yeah, I mean, that was an amazing catch. There are very few players, even in the NFL, that catch that football and hold on to it to the ground, you know, completing the catch with a guy on top of you. The Jackson Smith Ojigba catch was an amazing highlight catch. They really made them work. And Trevion Henderson had one of his least productive games of the season. I thought that was the key was to take away Travion Henderson. So they can't have that balance. That's what Oregon did. And whoever's won the rushing battle in Michigan, Ohio state has won every game since 2000. So I thought that was key and essential. And it seemed like a focus, especially from Mike McDonald's scheme. And even when Ohio state needed to score quick late in the game, the last time they scored that drive took them almost five minutes. The Michigan yep. defense did a great job keeping everything in front of them, making them work. Because those guys, those are three future first-round draft picks. They are just studs, and they're going to eat. They're going to get Correct. there. But it's just about limiting that meal. So, and that's exactly what Michigan did, just made them work for everything, make crazy catches, eat up the clock against them, and then you knew the offense was going to handle their own. And now when you gave out your game balls, you included the coaching staff. Yes. And I think we got to talk about that, man. I mean, the changes that were made – on both sides of the ball, young guys, new guys in terms of uh, to the college game, new guys in terms of their role, Mike McDonald, first-time defensive coordinator. It's kind of unbelievable how seamlessly it's not just clicked, but it's elevated the program, it seems to me. This, is, this looks like by far Harbaugh's best staff. Absolutely, man. It was all on his shoulders to do so, to make the changes in the offseason with him coming back and letting a lot of people go that had been with him for his entire tenure. And he made right decision after right decision and just dominoed. And from there with youthful coaches, bringing a lot of energy, very talented, like Mike Hart, who knew Sharon Moore was going to be the Dante Scarnecchi of offensive line coaches with what he's done with this group, because everybody thought, myself included, 
thought Ed Werner was the guy, but apparently not because Sharon Moore just took him through the ceiling. Um, Steve Klinkscale coming in after Mo Linguist left for the Buffalo head coaching job came in late and has just brought so much energy. And then Mike McDonald on the defense. It's a very NFL style with a lot of communication and a lot of improvisation, not just very strict assignment based. And you just see the growth throughout the year because even against Maryland, there were some miscues in the secondary, passing off guys from their match zone coverage. But in Ohio State, you didn't see that at all. It was just such a seamless flowing machine. And that goes from Sean New on the defensive line to George Hilo with the linebackers to everybody up and down the roster. And the best coach game of the Harbaugh era, two penalties at home in the biggest game of the year. I mean, that was tremendous, man. It really was tremendous. And I think, you know, McDonald has just been his ability to adjust, you know, uh, bringing Barrett, you know, almost taking the cobwebs off him and making him like (laughs) a key piece of the rotation again, as well as the willingness to play young guys. Right. I know this was something that a lot of us have been frustrated about in the past where you see a walk on getting reps over over more talented, younger players seeing a junior Colson become a starter as a true freshman, seeing a, a Rod Moore, you know, become a starter late in the season with pivotal games uh, as a true freshman and just the development of players, DJ Turner. I mean, he was a, nobody knew what to expect from him coming into the year, right? He, we were hoping he's a decent backup. He looks like a solid number one corner, David Ajabo, right? Project so talented went from not just being productive to being like, a, Hey, he's a first round pick. <laughs> that's the thing I think a lot of people forget that Ojabo coming into this year was hey can he be serviceable enough to allow Hutch to get after him can he be honest and it's like oh no they've developed him so far he might be a top 10 pick and yeah. man you, you nailed it with Rod Moore Rod Moore's one of my favorite players on this team he is a, a former three-star recruit just his IQ on the field of moving people around and seeing things at such a young age just bodes well because we're going to need him and RJ Moten next year to step up with Dax Hill presumably leaving and Brad Hawkins as well. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the safety position was so deep this year. That's why you see like three safeties basically on the field, almost every snap and, and more has just been humble and a great open field tackle too, against uh, Trevion on one of those plays he, he is. And he did such what a job he did against Dotson in the Penn State game when they, you know, he was the safety that helped out and did the bracket and they completely shut down Dotson. I think he was like 3.8 yards per pass to Dotson, which was yeah. like one of the most like mind boggling stats of the year, I think. Yeah, it was Dotson's second least productive game of the year, only behind Iowa when he had his backup quarterback play the second yeah. half of the game. Correct. So. Correct. Yeah, man, it's just been an impressive job. DJ Turner's emergence was something like I, I, I think I know the two deep pretty well. And then he came in. I was like, okay, Turner's out there. And then he makes a pick, like the, the three-tip pick in his first game. And I'm like, oh, DJ Turner is here now. And yep. it's just been a, I mean, just invaluable addition to the secondary, which pres- was presumed to be the weak point of this defense coming into the season. Yeah, right now it feels like there is no weakness um, to this team. I'm not saying, you know, every position is A-plus or can't get better, but there there does not seem to be a weakness an opponent can can attack. And you you mentioned Iowa, so let's talk a little bit about Iowa 
and this week's game. Um, what's your feel about the Hawkeyes, and and do you think you know where where could they maybe give a challenge to Michigan on Saturday? Man, I'm almost nervous. I'm almost strictly nervous because Iowa feels like such a good matchup for Michigan. So, firstly, Iowa is they very, they fight being one dimensional on offense so much. Tyler Goodson is a talented back, but if they can't get him going to keep him contained, which I think Michigan will, then it's going to fall on either Spencer Petrus or Alex Padilla, and both passers are subpar at best. I believe Petrus is 58% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, six picks, and is also battling a shoulder injury. So they need to get Goodson going. So I think they're just going to try to muck this game up, shorten it up, pound the ball, pound the ball, maybe throw in some trick plays here and there. But I was going to be Iowa at the end of the day. Kirk Ferentz has been there since the Clinton administration. He's not going to just suddenly change in this <laughs> next week. So it's you know what you're getting here. So I think they want to pound the ball with Goodson to ease the pressure on their limited quarterbacks. And defensively, they're going to want to be stout. They're going to want to stop Haskins up the middle. They're going to obviously do what every team wants to do. Stack the box, play press coverage. That's all you have to do to beat Michigan. Well, clearly that's not the case. So they're going to want to like load the box, slow down Haskins, do what they can, uh, try to bait uh, Cade McNamara to make bad throws, which he very seldom does because their secondary is talented. They lead the nation in turnover margin. So they're going to want to try to force some of those and make the game crazy. I fully expect Iowa to put up a good fight, but this game leans more blowout than it does close game, in my opinion. Oh, so you're, you're with me then, because I, 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 to me, I feel like I'm almost scared because I'm too confident. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm looking at this game and I'm like, how does Iowa score? I mean, uh, uh, you know, Goodson's a decent back, but against the, you know, against Wisconsin, Minnesota, Penn State, the best run defenses he's faced, he wasn't able to really be that effective. And Michigan is right in in that vein with those defenses. Uh, they're one of the worst pass blocking team in, in the country. I think PFF has them 98th in pass blocking. So if they have to block Hutchinson Ajabo, it's going to be a mess with that quarterback. So I, I don't, I really don't see how Iowa moves the ball. And the, the thing is, and, and this, this applied both to Ohio state and to Iowa, the fact that Michigan can get that pressure by rushing only four guys you know, against Ohio State, it left more guys in coverage. But against Iowa, that means you got more guys to stop the run, which is, like you said, what they want to do, what they, they want to muck it up. And that's really their only chance. And then on the other side, you know, yeah, they have a great defense. But, you know, Iowa really hasn't played many good offenses. Yeah, the, the like, Big Ten West. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I looked it up and and they've played one offense that's 70 in the top 70 in scoring. And that's Iowa State in week two. And they've the only other team that's in the top 50 in yards per play is Nebraska. And Iowa played them with a true, you know, not a true freshman, but a redshirt freshman making his first start. So yeah. they, they have not seen an offense as good as Michigan's. And I know people don't give Cade McNamara enough respect. I think they think he was like a, like a two and a half star guy that nobody wanted. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, he was a four star kid that Michigan flipped from Notre Dame. He's yep. got talent. He threw for like a bazillion yards. Like the edge at quarterback is, is astronomical in this game. It's massive, man. One of the quotes I saw that was great coming out of this weekend was 
call him a game manager all you want. He just game managed an ass whooping. So yeah. that's, that's what he delivered in this one. And I'm with you, man. I, I'm conservative with my score and my conservative game prediction for this is Michigan's going to really exploit them on the edges with the running backs with Edwards and Corm, especially getting a little bit healthier. I don't think this Iowa defense is necessarily fast and you get them out there intact and that opens up the son opens up the passing. I think they're going to struggle to really move the ball against us. And I got Michigan 34, six. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That's, that, that that's kind of a similar uh, thing to what I, I see, you know, both times Iowa lost, they lost by 17. They only mm-hmm. scored seven points in both of those games. And I think a, a common factor there is they play two teams that don't turn the ball over and they were unable to block edge rushers from Wisconsin and Purdue and Michigan's got even better edge rushers and, and a team that doesn't turn the ball over. So I, I just think it's, it should be a pretty comfortable victory. And I think a big thing for Michigan is getting out ahead. Cause if you get out ahead, you're going to force them to throw the ball. And that just opens up more opportunities for Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo and this crew to get after it. And Correct. yeah, the fact that they stopped Travion Henderson, like they did and contained him with the threat of the pass. And like you said, exactly. they had the, all those guys back. Now you can put an extra guy in the box to really take away this. You're telling me Padilla or Petrus is going to carve up the defense. I'll take my chances. Exactly. They, they shut down Trevion Henderson while worrying about the best passing offense in college football at the yeah, same time. Exactly. So if they can balance that, like, okay, we should take away this run. You make them one dimensional in their greatest weakness. So yeah, man, Iowa's best win was week two at Iowa state. Who's a seven and five team. Like, they have not been through the gauntlet of the Big Ten East like we have, especially all the road games of Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, all on the road. And the only way Michigan like stumbles or like really comes out slow is just the, the emotional hangover for the first quarter or so. But I have so much faith in the leadership of Andrew Vastardis, Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Ross, Hassan Haskins, Cade McNamara to have this team motivated and ready to go. And they've been echoing the same sentiment all week of jobs not finished. So as much as I want to say 45 to nothing in this, because that's what my gut feels, I'm just going to say 34-6 just to be somewhat respectful. Yeah, and in that Iowa State game that you mentioned, they, they were actually basically doubled in yards by, by the Cyclones yeah. in that game. It's not like they, it's not like they, were look, they looked so impressive in that date. All right, let, let's even look further ahead. I, th- I think you're on the page with me. I know a lot of people are like, you know, don't look too far ahead. You know, you got a game this week and listen, that's fine. That's how the team should think. I mean, if I'm, if I'm talking playoffs, it's, it's not going to affect the outcome on Saturday. <laughs> exactly. <I> don't, I <laughs> as long as they're locked in or we can, we can look the next year. Like we can go as far as you want. <laughs> exactly. And, and after watching that game and looking at the teams that are left, am I crazy to think why can't Michigan win it all? Dude, spot on. So Viewers guide this weekend. Let's get Georgia to win. Put them at number one. I like Georgia right at number one. I like Michigan to win, get number two. And then three and four, honestly, I don't care. Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, whomever, B3 or four, preferably Cincinnati, because I just think we just run the ball down their throat just with our size compared to theirs. But whoever Michigan gets in that two, three matchup, I think would be favored by a touchdown. I just, I love the way they stack up with this field. And that leads to the showdown of showdowns of Michigan's offensive line versus Georgia's defensive line in just Goliath versus Goliath and smash mouth football, the SEC and Big Ten coming together in Indianapolis. Like, 
I mean, that's 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 what dreams are made of for football fans, let alone Michigan fans. Yeah, yeah I'm getting goosebumps hearing you <laughs> hearing you set this up. Yeah, I just just don't give me let, let me have to just beat one SEC team. Yeah, that's all I want. I don't want to see Bama or Georgia in the semifinal. Yes, a hundred percent. You won it at the biggest stage too. I think it would just take away so much if Bama wins and we have to play one of those schools early. Especially, I don't want Alabama. I don't want Georgia, Michigan in the semifinal. Come on. Yeah, I want that as a final game. And listen, uh, uh, I think we talked about Cade being underrated, but I think to be fair, you know, he he isn't an elite elite quarterback. But you don't. You're not going to have to beat an elite elite quarterback. There is no Fields in this playoff. There is no Trevor Lawrence. There is no Deshaun Watson or Tua. Uh, you know, I guess maybe Bryce Young if Georgia makes if Alabama makes it. But otherwise, you're not facing. You, he might be the best quarterback in the playoff. Yeah, yeah. Third team All Big Ten, baby. You know, I ride so hard for Cade Mack, and I think if he gets a PI call at Michigan State, he has 400 yards in that game, and this team's 12 yep. and 0. So. No, I, I have full confidence in him. I love the way they utilize both quarterbacks in this one to get J.J. back in his rhythm. But, no, Cade, Cade McNamara is more than serviceable. All he has to do is be 97 Brian Greasy, and this can we can win a national championship. I totally agree, and I think that's a you know, perfect spot to leave it off. Uh, Andrew, man, I had a lot of fun talking with you. I, I wish I had you on sooner, to be honest, that, now that we had this conversation. This was one of my more fun interviews of the year. Really appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on and talking to us. Will, will, will you be going to Indy this week? I will not be going to Indy this week, unfortunately. I turned 30 this weekend. It's my birthday. So I have right. family, friends coming in. So we'll be celebrating. We're having a big watch party. But you can bet if they're back in Indianapolis in a month, I will be there for that. That's awesome, man. Uh, happy birthday to you then. And, you. Uh, you know, go blue. And I think you're going to have a nice birthday weekend and a nice, a perfect uh, watch party slash birthday party, right? What a, what a perfect way to break into your 30s. I'm in the best two-week stretch of my life, man. I'm living it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, brother. Take care.